Welcome to Game On, the weekly football podcast bringing together seasoned professionals, the male star football writers and a celebrity fan or two. I'm your host, Mark Pugach. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Game On on video. Hello, I'm Mark Pugach. Welcome to Game On. Happy New Year. Just a week into 2021 and already so much to talk about in the world of football. What with the ban for Kieran Trippier, the EFL Cup semi-finals, and the FA Cup third round, one of the best weekends of the year. So joining us to discuss all this, Jamie Redknapp, who played for Liverpool, Tottenham and England, Martin Samuel, the Daily Mail's chief sports writer, and the Southampton legend, Matthew Letizia. Hello, everybody. Happy New Year. Good to see everyone looking so well. Jamie, welcome along to our little nice Friday to discussion of what is going on. We'll start off the pitch, Martin, with a story you've written today about Kieran Trippi and his 10-week ban for insider trading, I suppose the FA would call it. Some of his mates betting on his move to Atletico Madrid. There are two things in here. We'll get to the Atletico Madrid aspect in a second. But mm-hmm. first, you've, you've written that you think it's a nonsense that he's got this ban. Yeah, well, I think the whole idea of um, the FA stepping in to act as muscle for the bookmakers so that they can make a market on someone's life. Um, Kieran Trippier didn't ask anyone to make a market on on his life. Um, And then you can't tell people in case they they have a bet and, and, and... uh, it's, it's just absolutely outrageous. You know, the bookmakers, if they want to make that market, they should be allowed to get on with it and good luck with it. But it's not none of the FA's business what happens to that market. It's not as if the man's fixing matches. It's not as if he's decided the outcome of the integrity of competitions. Is, is it, This is a random fun market, really, because you can't have a serious bet on it anyway. You, you really can't. I mean, if you go on any of those uh, betting websites... They limit the the winnings and uh, to I think it's about two hundred and fifty quid. So it's it's just harvesting money out of out of mugs. And it could, because if you know anything, suddenly they want to go to the FI and say, "Oh, this is outrageous. We've been we've been ripped off." Well, tough, tough. No one asked you to do this. This is this is not a this is not a match. This is not someone having a bet on a match. This is a, a man's life. Why shouldn't he talk to whoever he wants to talk to about what's going on? Well, Jamie, that's the thing. When you went to Liverpool, mm. you went to Tottenham, you went to Southampton, obviously your dad's in the game, but of course you're going to say something to your mates, aren't you? You're going to say something to somebody. Oh, God, Liverpool are interested in me. Oh, I might go to Tottenham this week. Mm. I think my dad did because he sold me. I'm sure he had a few quid. <laughs> but um, it was, yeah, it happens all the time. We've seen it in dressing rooms when players know they're going somewhere. And I've only seen a, a, a few of the messages, and I grew up Martin saying there, He's probably said it as a to one of his mates who, you know, can we get a bet on it? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah of course, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to Atletico Madrid, and it's probably just a throwaway comment. You're definitely going. How much can you get on it? Like Martin says, you can't really get any big money on it. I, I look, there was a, a few years ago, and I'm sure it happened to Latis when he was playing, when you could bet on maybe what first goal scorer. You know, there used to be a, a, a bookie at Anfield, so you used to be able to have a little bet on the first goal scorer. And one day we had a. I don't know, someone put £100 on, on uh, John Scales at 33 to 1. And he actually got, uh, we, to be honest, we were aimed from every corner we had. And um, he scored a corner at the back post. He scored from a corner of a back post. But we gave the money to charity. But it's one of those things where 
it happens. Has he tried to help himself in this situation? Of course he's not. And and not only that, Atletico Madrid, from their point of view, they must be so upset. They're doing it. They're flying at the moment. He's had a really good start since he's been there. Mm. It's just a nightmare situation all round. And it's not something that he's done and he's tried to you know, take a load of money from the bookies or do anything corrupt. He's just that, said it's a bit of a throwaway comment to his mates. That's how I see it. Yeah. I mean, man, I think, I think, uh, right. So what's he got to do with, what's he got to do with that Helico Madrid? Why should they be penalised for something that happened in England? No, that's a hundred percent right. And sometimes there's a really simple solution to, to situations like this. And Martin messaged it. The simplest solution is don't have markets. On, on this, pl- on this yeah. particular, on this Absolutely. particular thing happening, it's it's just crazy. I'm sure it's it's a pretty small market anyway. As, as Martin said, it's just you know you're limited anyway to how one much you bets, can stake. One of the bets, Matt, uh, won four pound thirty-seven. <laughs> oh, wow! I mean, it it's sometimes the simplest solutions are looking you right in the face, mm-hmm. and and everybody looks past it for for other things. The simplest thing is you stop bookies from making markets. On this kind of bet, it's the simplest thing to do, and and every single problem that arises from that onwards is solved. End of. Mm, absolutely, and just to make the point, say insider trading, because a lot of people, oh, it's insider trading. It's no different to insider trading. Everybody involved in insider trading is part of creating that market. They actually make money from the market. That's that's how they make their money. It's in shares. Kieran Trippier isn't involved in making this market. Nobody goes to Kieran Trippier and says, oh, by the way, we'd like to make a market on your life, uh, mate. Um, is that okay? Because if you t- if Kieran, say, for instance, you had to, say you had to have the player's permission to run a market on his, his, his transfer, and the player then took a cut of the proceeds. At that point, at that point, yes, it is insider trading. At that point, it's insider trading because he is part of creating the market. He is then part of the profits. He is he is part of the whole process. At the moment, he's just an innocent bystander. He's, he's collateral damage in all of this. Some, you know, a, a a a bookmaker decides that you know your life is worthy of uh, of having a bet on. At which point, you lose control of it. How can that be right? How can that be fair? And Jamie, well, there, there is potentially an England angle to this. They're not at the moment, but there's there is a possibility it could be suspended for the summer in the most competitive position, arguably, that England have at right back. So that's also extremely unfair on Trippier. Absolutely. And he showed he can also be versatile players a left wing back if you need him. So you'd certainly be in our squad. He's a quality player. And I've got no doubt working with Simeone, his level the level of his mm. of his players gone up, learning how to defend, learning how to do things right because of the type of manager he is. But it's pretty simple. The dialogue would have been, listen, I've got, you know, I'm, I'm going to Atletico Madrid. Oh, can I, you can have a bet on that, you know. Oh, go on then, have a little bet because I'm definitely going. And that's it. I mean, then he gets a 10-game ban. How, how long did he actually get, Martin? 10 games. 10, Ten games. game March. ban for something as simple as that. He's and some of the things March you... the 1st. March the yeah. 1st. He, he can't watch. He can't be in the stadium. He can't be in the training ground. It's, it's an incredible ban, the one you get for betting. Sorry. He's not alone there with not being able to be in the stadium. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep, uh, yeah, good we'll point. on that story as we look at what happened in the EFL semi-finals this week. First of all, Jamie, one of your old clubs, Tottenham, into the final. This is what Jose was brought in to do, wasn't it? Don't don't worry about the style. Look at the substance. And he is a serial winner of the League Cup. How confident would you be? It's April and lots can happen between now and then. But the Tottenham in the League Cup final. 
Yeah, listen, it's great for the club. It's good for him. But I don't think we should get too carried away. They're beating Brentford in the semi-final. And they've had a pretty good run in, in, in the process. But he, he's, he's done a really good job in terms of trying to turn that mentality around. And we, we can't lose sight of you know, two less than two years ago. They were in a Champions League final under Richo Pochettino. You know, they were lost in the final there. So we shouldn't be talking. They've just never been able to get across the line. And there's still nothing to say they will with, in this game. They're playing against the Man City side that right now you wouldn't want to play. But in a couple of months' time, who knows what the what the landscape's going to be like. Will Man City maybe sign a player? If they do, will he be out? I'm sure he will be out playing the final. Might if he if they sign a player in the next window? Yeah, yeah, as long yeah, as he's not so, cup tied. You know, so there's a lot that a lot that can change, and that they are looking strong. They've uh, he certainly helped players. The style of football I've said it before uh, isn't great to watch. I think it helps to a certain extent. There's not a crowd in there. When there's been some games when they're sitting back and they're they're in uh, they're getting a lot of pressure. Having played for Tottenham, I know the crowd wouldn't want that. They'd want their team to be expansive and get up the pitch and play with that Tottenham style, if you like. So things have fallen into place to a certain extent. But you can't lie; they look in they're in a really good position, not just in the league, but also to be in a final at this stage of the season. Uh, uh, Matt, up against the Man City team, as Jamie says, if the final were next week, we'd probably make City favourites because. This has felt a very significant week for Man City, hasn't it? These last two results at Old Trafford and Stamford Bridge. Yeah, very much so. Uh, I think the last two games have seen a, um, a Man City side almost finding their mojo because, let's be honest, although you know they haven't had too many defeats, um, the style of play has been nowhere near uh, as emphatic. The style of victories have been nowhere near as emphatic as they have been in previous years. And it, and it had been a bit of a struggle for them to to score lots of goals in football matches, which is what they we've become accustomed to seeing. Um, but the the way they went about dismantling Chelsea um, and then Manchester, I mean, these are two fantastic away wins and pretty comfortable, let's be honest, um, at, at two of the biggest clubs in the country. So, um, yeah, you, you'd have to say that uh, <laughs> City are the informed team at the minute. And uh, there was a lot of talk that, that you know, perhaps a, a few weeks ago, there, were, there was a big gap between them and Liverpool. Um, but you look at things now and uh, it has tightened up a heck of a lot and they'll probably be uh, be favourites with the bookies again pretty soon. Don't mention that B word again. Yeah, I thought we got off there. <laughs> 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 uh, what, what do you think when you look at the top of the table, Martin? We've got Liverpool, Man United uh, Sunday <coughs> week. What do you look when you think about Liverpool, Man United and Man City and Tottenham, of course, at the moment? Well, anyone, really. I mean, it's so open at the top of the table. Yeah, and Southampton. Sorry. Yeah, and Southampton. Look, yeah, why not? Why not? Why not? In in the top four, at least, why not? I mean, that was an outstanding performance against Liverpool in the week. I mean, it really was. I mean, when they scored after two minutes, you're thinking, it's about 88 minutes too early. And... um, (laughs) And, and, and they held it, and um, the manager burst into tears at the end. And 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 I can I can imagine why it must have it must have been pretty emotional. Um, so uh, we haven't mentioned Leicester in that as well, who I, I think are still top. Well, four, once I started, I thought, yeah. how many teams have I got to mention yeah. here? Without and, and that's somebody. and that's exactly, and, that, and that's <laughs> the wonderful thing. You, you think you think because of all the course and distance stuff that it's Liverpool, Manchester United, and and and, and Manchester City. But it's it's certainly Tottenham as well, um, and, and a team like Leicester or a team like Southampton are very well placed to take advantage if any of those teams slip up. And we've seen what's happened to Chelsea, who look to looks to have got it going and have fallen away. It doesn't take much to fall out of that top four, 
mm. at the moment, and it doesn't take much to get in it because it's it's so tight. And um, it, I think it's a fantastic league this season. I really do. I mean, a weird, a strange league, and I and I totally take Jamie's point that there's certain teams that are benefiting from certain aspects of this very very strange league, like you know Tottenham playing without fans and and therefore you know, the, the fans aren't agitated about the football, maybe, and, and, and stuff like that. But I think the competition itself is fabulous. Jamie, what do you think your cousin Frank Lampard is learning at the moment? Well, I think he's probably learned that four weeks ago that he was the answer to football. And then everyone was saying how great he was doing, you know, on a, on a what, I can't remember how many games, it wasn't 17 games, mm. something like that, wasn't it? Like a massive run of form. Everything looked easy. And like Martin said, in a blink of an eye, everything can change. A couple of bad performances. I think the Everton one was when that was the first game they lost. And, and I remember listening to Frank in, in his interview after, and he just said, we weren't on it. And I remember talking to him subsequently after the game. And he said, I felt it in training. It's a difficult thing. It, 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 and, I, and, and, and the sister, you, you know, I'm sure there's been times when you look at the squad, you're in good form. Maybe just something just goes in training. Maybe a little bit of, like when everyone's at 100%. People just start to think, oh, we've, we're cracking this now. This is becoming easy. Maybe the second balls you don't win at a place like Goodison where you've got to win second balls. That's imperative. You start to just look, come off the, off the gas a little bit. All of a sudden, the result can go against you. Then you get another game, you lose. And then all of a sudden, the next six fixtures, instead of looking like games we can really win, they all of a sudden start to become really difficult ones. So Frank, well, he, he's under no illusions. It's difficult for him right now. You're at a club where... Their mentality has been when things don't go well, they'll bring in another manager. And they've had huge success doing that. Uh, so you can't deny that, that that works, that model for them. But I think because of Frank and his, and, and his standing at the club, uh, the way that he's brought a lot of young players through, I think that he, he certainly needs the time to be, able to, get, you know, to be able to get what he wants right. And I think it'd be a huge mistake to, 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 to do something really quickly. And I don't think they will. I think they've, they've pretty much said that. But, you know, that, that's... It's not an easy time for Frank as a manager and he'd be well aware of that because he's been at the club when they've had managers and sack managers. So it's not like he's gone in there with, you know, not knowing what, the, what could happen if he didn't do too well. Jamie, it's really interesting when you hear him being so vocal in criticising his players. You go, well, that's, that's brave to you know, publicly call your players out. Do you think that's a risk? Well, it's a funny one, Mark. When you say that he's calling his players out, I think in the modern era he might be. But if you're an, if you're an honest person or a, as a footballer and your manager turns around and says, we're, we're not doing it, we were lazy today in our defending, we didn't work as hard as what we could, I think you'd pretty much go, yeah, you know what, Gaffer, that's a fair assessment. If you can't take that level of criticism... Now, it's not like I've seen managers, and I'm not just you know, throwing them, you know, I've heard Jose sometimes, when things were going wrong at United, and that's when you're having a go at your players or something. But when I see Frank, I, I think that was just a, a pretty fair assessment from, a, from, a, from an honest manager, and a, as, an, a, as an honest player as there was, that if you can't take that level of criticism, you're in the wrong game. Now, I don't doubt the, the honesty at all, but I think you, you said it yourself. Maybe when you and Matt were playing, People like us in the media wouldn't bat an eyelid at what we're saying. It's just in today's mm. game, you know, you often hear, oh, don't shout at the multimillionaires. They'll down tours and want to go somewhere else. It was just noticeable that he did it. Yeah, but I think what Frank will do it, that's that's his way. 
And if it doesn't work and if players don't accept it, I'm sure Frank will accept that it's not going to, it's not right for him, but he's not going to go away from his beliefs. And if he feels that players aren't working hard enough, he'll tell them. Because the one thing you know with Frank, you know, we've all, we all know him, we've all met him. Not only would he be telling the press that, he'd be telling the players the same thing. So it's not mm. like he's going to them and telling them one thing and then saying another two things when I'm in the dressing room. So I think he'll be totally upfront with it. And that's how he's going to do the job. Because if you don't, if you don't do it to, in the best way that you believe, you know, you're you're uh, you're making that dressing room anyway. Well, Matt, what's astonishing about all sport, or football almost uniquely, you know, as as Jamie, as we were saying, a month ago, Chelsea are flying high, they're brilliant. Arteta's useless, he'll be out. A month <laughs> later, it's completely reversed. But my question is, and my question is about the the embroidery at Arsenal, the flair player. He doesn't sweat enough. What are they going to do with Ozil? I mean, what <laughs> what what is going on here? Is it? I mean, Arteta said in the press this week, I gave him every chance. I can't do it any longer. What's your reading of it? Why do you feel I'm qualified to answer that? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Obviously, I I, I would probably come down in defence of somebody like Mesut Ozil um, because I, I know the influence that he can have on football matches. Having said that, you know, he has to... He has to take responsibility for his own performances as well, you know. And if mm. the manager is, uh, has decided, and, and he did give him a, a chances, you know, it, when we came back from lockdown, I think he played in most of the games. He did. Um, and, you know, so he gave him plenty of chances to prove himself. And, and Arteta has made the decision on him that he doesn't feel that he's, he's given enough to the team. And there were, there were periods in my career when, when managers decided that about me as well. Um, Not and many, that's when. Yeah, not many (laughs) but that's when you have to look inside yourself and you look to yourself and you say well what am I going to do about this you know am I going to knuckle down um, and force my way back into that team by doing the best I can possibly do in training Uh, because that's the only way you can do it when the manager bombs you out Um, and and that's when you you've got to make that decision for yourself or do you say do you know what this manager don't fancy me it doesn't look like he's going to change his mind no matter how hard I try in training it's time for me to leave. But, you know, Arsenal backed themselves into a corner because of the the, the, the contract that they gave him. Mm. You know, there, there was no incentive for him to to want to move away right away. Why would you when you're on, on that kind of money? It's, you know, and, and Arsenal have to take some responsibility for that as well. I'd also say, by the way, that, that uh, you know, I, I think I said this the last time I was on with Matt and it sounds as if I'm just false flattery. What Matt did at Southampton compared to what, Measure Ozil's impact mm. at Arsenal. It's apples and oranges. I mean, look, the man was keeping a, the team up basically every single season. Measure Ozil is not making that difference at Arsenal. He is not. He has not been the difference between getting them into the Champions League or, or winning the trophies or winning the league or anything. Which is the impact that Matt was having at Southampton. Uh, you know, there are a lot of seasons, and it's it's not it's not false flattery. Where if they didn't have Matlatissa, they would have got relegated. It's as simple as that. Or they would have finished five, ten places lower than, than they did. Ozil's not doing that at, at Arsenal. Mm. It's, it's you know we can argue we can argue there's a there's a similarity in terms of flair. I'd like to see Mesut Ozil's goals reel that they keep showing um, on Sky every you know, a few months or whatever of Matt Letizia's goals or all, you know, they're, they're, they're very different players. Very, very different I, I, I tell you what would be interesting, Mark, it would be interesting to see. It's a different conversation because Mikel Arteta's won, I think, three on the bounce now. Mm. After that Man City game when they were beaten comfortably, I was asked a question I was doing the game, would you bring back Meza Ozil? And at, at that time, 
You've got zero creativity. You're not making, you're not making goals. You're not scoring goals. I, I can imagine he must have been tinkering with the idea. Now, all of a sudden, you won three games. He doesn't need him. You know, they've got people scoring goals. Everyone's looking a bit more confident. Mm. Now you don't need Mesut Ozil. So the, it's a lot easier conversation for Mikel Arteta. And yeah. it all comes from confidence. We, all, we often say, what's the difference with a team and a player? But you see, man, you know, when Arsenal were playing those games where they were struggling, I was watching players, didn't want the ball. Everyone was running away from it. You've got Lac- uh, you know, Lacazette's looking like, he, you know, he didn't know he was oh. number 10, a striker. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden now, he's got his chest out. He wants the ball. You don't need Meza Ozil. So it's easy now for him to play the big man. And yeah, I don't, I don't need Meza Ozil. We'll, we'll decide when I want. We weren't saying that three or four weeks ago when you were maybe going to have to get him back into the fold. Mm. Now, Jamie, we, we are an Anglo-Saxon race. We all forgive anything in sport if you sweat. I mean, this is true. This is the only country in the world where we have a standing ovation when somebody does a slide tackle, don't they, and puts the winger in the, in the, in the first <laughs> row. And the, and the problem is, you know, you read between the lines, Ozil has days off. You know, he didn't want to play. You know, he really didn't look like he wanted to play away in the north on a cold day. So it just all adds to the narrative, doesn't it? Yeah, there's, and there's been plenty. Dad worked with, I mean, you know, De Canio and players like that. You know, Martin when he did all the books he would be certain times he didn't want to play but what you do is you accept that what they can bring to the team now with someone like Matt Letizia and uh, uh, sorry Matt to talk about you when you're sitting in front of me <laughs> I know, but I know. I, when we used to play against Southampton you used to know when Letizia was playing you got it all on it was going to be so difficult because you need those players in the team we had a player Liverpool we had Steve McManaman which is a bit of a different player but you were in terms of what he brought to the team in terms of his flair you know, he might not maybe make a tackle at times, but I knew, you know, Gaza, players like that, someone that could do that, that moment of genius. And Ozil doesn't do enough for me, nowhere near enough, but I can see exactly what he would do if you brought him into the team. And if you bring him in, don't tell me Arsenal got 25 better players than him in their squad. That's what I'm saying. And if he doesn't start every game, when you go to Man City away, when you go to Arsenal away, at least have him there. Why would you not? Because I, I think that, if, if his behaviour is that bad, of course not. And if you feel that you're going to be uh, belittled in the dressing room and everyone's saying, well, he this and he just does what he wants. But I don't know that he does. I don't know the ins and outs of him. But he, he's a good player. But is it, as Martin rightly says, he's not in Matt Letizia's league. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a soap opera, which may all may... I wouldn't mind having his medals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or his money. Or, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He may or may not be off to Fenerbahce. Now, what about Harry Kane? Interesting, Martin, uh, reading this week. Daniel Levy's obviously thinking, "Mm, right, Harry Kane, Man City need a new centre-forward. Maybe it's time to start negotiations with Harry Kane and basically keep him here for the rest of the prime of his career. Mm. That that would seem a sensible approach from the Tottenham hierarchy, wouldn't it? And Son, of course, as well. That would seem the smart thing to do, certainly. I always always thought that... um, that, it, that he would end up at Manchester City. I'm not so sure now. Um, I, I thought that was that, that that seemed a logical process that when Guardiola left, that maybe Pochettino would go there. Pochettino would then use that leverage to to, to get Harry Kane to Manchester City. Um, there's obviously there, there is obviously the danger that, that, that they would come in again. Uh, I've actually spoken with Woodward in the past about. Uh, about Harry Kane a number of years ago, and um, and it's and it's a problem for Tottenham because they, they were for so long they were a selling club and they've still got a bit of that reputation. And Ed Woodward was saying that you know Daniel likes a deal, and you know that they always thought that they could you know maybe get, get a deal on if the money was right for Harry Kane. 
Um, so they need to tie him up, basically, because everyone is looking at that. Everyone's thinking the same thing. Tottenham have sold their best players in the past. There will be a price at which they'll sell again. So the only way you can stop that happening is if you if you tie him up to a deal so you can just keep saying no. Matt, what do you think will happen? Because, of course, you've got to... Fantastic new stadium, but which takes a look, which took a lot of paying for anyway, even before the COVID crisis. Um, I get the feeling that that Harry Kane will spend his bulk of his his career at Tottenham. You know, if he chooses to perhaps I don't know go to America late on, but I think for the next four or five six years, uh, I think he'll still still be a Tottenham player, and I think he'll he'll go on to become one of those players that they will talk about at Spurs for generations to come. He'll he'll be. Um, He'll probably break most records. I think. I think he's the only player capable of getting anywhere near Alan Shearer in terms of Premier League goals. Um, uh, and I think he can do that when he's at Spurs. Uh, and I think you know he he just comes across as somebody who is you know genuinely wants to lift Tottenham to win trophies. Uh, and and he doesn't come across to me as the the kind of guy that that is desperate to go and. Uh, and play for a Man City just to try and guarantee winning a a, a big trophy. That's the key, Jamie, isn't it? What mm. does Harry? What's Harry Kane's attitude towards trophies? I'm not being flippant. If he thinks I'll win mm. one or two at Tottenham in the next five years, would that be enough? Because if he went to Man City, he might win four or five in the next five years. Well, I've spoken to him about it, and his ambition is to win trophies. So if he feels the ambition at Tottenham, where they're pushing and they're signing players to make the team better and better... I, I agree with Matt. He will want to stay. It's his club. It's his family's club. It's his wife's club. Everyone is, is um, in his family is Tottenham mad, which I think to a certain extent is a huge advantage to Spurs. But you still that still shouldn't mean that you take advantage of a situation like that. Harry, Harry is one of the best players in the country, in the world. So he deserves the big contracts like all the best players have. And, and as we know at Tottenham, that's not always been the case. So if they reward him, if, they see, if he sees ambition... I can see him staying at Tottenham. If he feels for one second at the end of the season, you know what, I'm not, I'm not too sure about the way the team's going. It's all right having a great stadium, great training ground. I wouldn't be surprised if he maybe did push for a move. He's got, um, he signed a, a long-term contract not, not too long ago. And I think unless, you're, unless you've got bad advisors around you, you will always have a clause in that contract saying, if a club comes in for me at this price, it triggers that clause. But it all depends on the situation. Now, there are a lot of reasons why Harry should and w- would want to stay at Tottenham. But again, if he doesn't feel like that team are, are, are winning trophies, then I, I can see a situation where he might push. But right now, as it stands, cup final, in, the, you know, in, in a chance of, of winning leagues, Europa League, FA Cup, he might feel that, you know what, everything that I want is in this club. London's a huge pool for people. Make no mistake about it as well. Mm. Yeah. Stephen Gerrard always said, Stephen Gerrard said um, that when people say to him about never winning a, a league title, one, he points out he won everything else that they, you could possibly win at, at Liverpool. But he also says that, no, he doesn't regret not going to Chelsea because winning the league at Chelsea would not have meant as much to him as winning the league with Liverpool. And it was far more... Um, emotionally powerful for him to try to win the league at Liverpool, to come close to winning the league at Liverpool. If he'd have gone to Chelsea and won the league, it would have been great. And you've got the, you've got the medal and, and, and we can all understand how important that mm. is. But it wouldn't have felt the same as doing everything that he did at Liverpool. 
I think Alex yeah, yeah. the same thing with Newcastle, wouldn't he? About the mm. final in the league with, with Newcastle. Mm. Um, let's go on the FA Cup this weekend, which is great. Martin, you know, we and I have done this for a long time and I, I find myself defending to my friends the FA Cup quite a lot these days. Oh, it's only the Cup now, you know, because the Champions League is so big and I go... Well, you, you, I say to them, you say that to the players of Marine and Morecambe this weekend. It's only the FA Cup. It doesn't really matter. You say to Jamie, I can picture the beautiful sunny day in Cardiff, Jamie, you lifting the FA Cup. You know, well, I've had a shirt and tie on. No, but, hey, yeah. hey, you say that, Jamie. I didn't say that. You said that. <laughs> you were still lifting it. It's still great, Martin. You still get as excited as ever. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the FA Cup. I've, I've never quite understood all of this. Oh, the Cup's in trouble. The Cup's this and the Cup's that. It's the FA Cup. It will always be the FA Cup. It's got its own narrative. It's got its its own wonderful magic about it. And and you say about Marina Morecambe, but I've never seen an FA Cup won by any club, no matter how big they are, where the players didn't go absolutely nuts uh, when the final whistle blew. And, and the fans go absolutely nuts when the final whistle blows. No one goes, oh, right, we won the FA Cup and, 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 you know, walks off, gets on the coach and goes home. I mean, it, it's, it's, it will always have that magic. I can remember Arsene Wenger saying that um, many years ago, advocating that it should carry a, 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 a European Cup place, Champions League place, which I've never agreed with. And he said, because it's, you know, it's, it's losing, you know, without this. It's, it's, and, you sit and you think, Blackpool versus Bowen is one of the most famous matches in the history of English football. The Matthews final is still talked about. People still know about the Matthews final more than half a century on. They didn't get anything for that apart from the FA Cup. No, they didn't mm. have to qualify for Europe. They didn't have to, you know, they, it was, that was the FA Cup. That, and, that, and that was what you got for it. And it remains, these cup ties, these, these finals that we remember, nothing but the FA Cup. That, that, that's all it needs. Let me ask you a question, Mark. You say you don't agree with it, but why should we, we give a Champions League place for coming fourth, which is not really that big a deal, but we won't give it for winning a trophy. Do you not think if we did give it... I, I personally disagree. I think it'd be great to give a, a Champions League place to win in the FA Cup. I think it would make it even better. Well, not even better. I think it would turn it back into what it should be, which is a, a massive trophy to win. But I think uh, if you look at it, and uh, if you, it would be all it would become is the easy route for a useless big club. That's that's what it would be. So Arsenal last year would get in the Champions League. Do Arsenal deserve to be in the Champions League? Is there anything about Arsenal at the moment that deserves the Champions League? No, there's not. And they would have denied the fourth best team. I'm trying to remember fourth. Was it Chelsea last year? Was Chelsea fourth? Uh, Chelsea, Man, Man United, Man United. Uh, Man United, uh, right. Chelsea fourth, yeah. Chelsea were fourth. So it would have denied, uh, denied Chelsea their place in the Champions League and Arsenal would have got there. And Arsenal didn't deserve to be there. And that's that's the problem with it, Jane. When I looked, at, I, have, I, I looked at this a, a little while ago and looked at all the teams that would have, would have won it. And you are literally replacing one elite team with another elite team, pretty much. I mean, on the odd occasion, Portsmouth, obviously... Uh, Wigan when they won it but the rest of the time it would be Arsenal would get in instead of Chelsea Manchester United would get in instead of Tottenham I think there were a few occasions certainly when Manchester United who were, were going through a really poor spell would have got in ahead of say someone like Tottenham for whom getting into the Champions League was a big achievement when they first came mm. forth and I, 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 I don't think it's right. I, I don't think I, I don't think it's right. I, t I totally take your point, but I think the FA Cup. I think it does all right. I, th I really do. I still think it means something. 
Yeah. You say, yeah, the only thing I'd say to that is if you say the quarterfinals and you've got big games coming up from Man City, Liverpool, and there's a load of games, what would they prioritise? Would they prioritise the Premier League or would they prioritise the FA Cup? And of course, the answer to that is the, F, is the Premier League. And that's what I'm thinking. That it'd just be a way of just making this competition so much better and bring back some glory. What do you think, Tiz? I think the... Um, I've always found it a bit odd that, that the Champions League is called the Champions League when, it, yeah. when it's got a load of teams that are runners-up third and fourth place in it mm. because they're not actually champions. If you actually, if you actually do put the FA Cup winners in there, you can then claim it to be a Champions League because they, they've won a trophy. They were the champions mm. of the FA Cup. You know, so, it, so from that point of view, it, it would make a bit of sense. Um, but I think Martin also has a point that when you, when you look at the last 25, 30 years of the FA Cup, he, he's right, it's only been a couple of times where one of the big boys who was going to be in the Champions League anyway has actually, has actually won it. Um, so it's an interesting one and it's something that I think should be up for discussion uh, and, and should be a way to, uh, to perhaps have that, have that discussion amongst the, amongst the FA and the Premier League if they feel like the FA Cup is, is losing a bit, of, a bit of credibility. And I think from our point of view, you know, Guys of guys of our age, I think the FA Cup was something a bit different when we were young because it was it was literally the only the yeah. only game that was shown on television, mm-hmm. you know, and that's that's what made it all the more special. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the saturation now of football coverage has diluted it a little bit, but I'm still with Martin. I still think there is, uh, I still think there is a lot of fantastic narratives, especially when it comes to this round of the cup. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned Marine and Morecambe, and it's and it is the FA Cup for me is that opportunity for those guys that that tr- train day in day out in the lower leagues who barely get any coverage in the newspapers. Mm. It's their chance to be in the limelight, and and I think mm. if you you know if you took that away from them, I think that would be an incredibly sad day, and I think that is one of the reasons why the FA Cup is still special for me. I mean, it's why this weekend is, just, I mean, if, if the world were normal, it'd be incredible, the crowds at Morecambe and Marine. But yeah. James, what, are your, what are your best memories of third round weekend? Uh, well, I, I, I've had it from both sides, really. I remember it was from Bournemouth's point of view when the first time I got to the third round with them, we had a couple of games and, we, and we'd won. That was just an incredible thing to be part of because growing up, the, the FA Cup was started at eight o'clock in the morning. And it would be on all day, and it was something mm-hmm. you got up for. I remember, t- I remember like watching the players talk about their teammates and learning about all the different players. So there were so many aspects to the FA Cup final day that I loved. I mean, the, uh, the worst is probably an easier one to say because I remember losing uh, to Bristol City in a, in, in a, a, a replay once. It was Graham Souness's last game as manager. We drew there, and they were a decent side actually. But remember, we went one nil down uh, just before half time at Anfield in the replay in a night game. And I'd had a bit of a problem with my knee just be- beforehand. And I'd, as I've got about a minute to go before our time, I've got to pass it back to someone. And I felt something just pop in my knee. And I was, I think I was 18, 19 years of age. I thought that didn't feel right. I got down and sat down in the dressing room listening to Graham. As I've gone to get up, my leg locked. I couldn't get up. So now I'm thinking, right, we're one nil down. Our manager's under massive pressure. He's probably the scariest man on the planet. 
at that time. <laughs> and I've got to say to him, Gaffer, I, I, I can't straighten my leg. I can't, I can't play because I wanted to get out there second half and turn it around. And obviously we're attacking the cop end. Maybe we, you know, we can get, a, get the result and take the pressure off him. Anyway, I'm sitting there. On the, I said to call the doctor over. I said, Doc, something's happened to my knee. I can't straighten it. So I had to come off. End up, we end up losing the game one 0 Had a surgery the next day, and then Graham Souness got sacked. So that was a, and that, that was probably the most eventful third round I've ever had. Um, but not that. Was, I think that was the only giant killing I was part of. But it's not. It's not nice. It's not a nice mm-hmm. feeling, is it, Tiz? I don't know if you had any. <laughs> yeah, we got we got beat off uh, Port Vale. I think was the worst one for me in the third round of the FA Cup. Um, they they come uh, down Vail to our park. Uh, well, we drew we drew at the Dell first, and then and then went up to Vale Park and lost. So it made it even worse. Um, yeah. We had a chance to beat them at, at home. So uh, so yeah, that was that was probably not one of my better FA Cup third round memories. I mean, um, we beat Spurs three one in in nineteen ninety, which was you know a pretty special. That was at White Hart Lane, um, which was a uh, probably the best FA Cup third round win that I ever had. Um, but I had, a, I had a funny one later on in my career. Um, I think before, I think I went home uh, before I went back to Guernsey in between Christmas and New Year um, and was due to come back for the, the first Saturday in January. It was obviously going to be the, the third round of the cup and I got stuck in Guernsey due to bad weather and I couldn't get, <laughs> I couldn't get back. I couldn't get off the island. And, um, and so I, I remember having to do a bit of training um, when I was in Guernsey, just went for a couple of runs um, and then trying to get back on the day before the game, we were going to play Derby away. And, um, and I finally managed to get off the island Friday, late Friday afternoon, but the coach had already left Southampton to go to, to, go to Derby. So I had to fly over. My dad came with me. Uh, he flew over with me. I stayed home that night and then my dad drove me to Derby the next day. Uh, so it was all a bit, all a bit chaotic. Mezzet then, wouldn't uh, have done that, Martin. Would he? No, I'm just about to that. say, yeah. He, he, wouldn't, then, uh, he wouldn't got stuck the, in Guernsey either, by the way. No. Yeah. <laughs> He'd got a private plane out. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then to top it all off, um, we got we got smashed off Derby, and I, I had about two kicks the whole game. It was the most pointless journey I've ever made. Oh, yeah. oh dear. Martin, what's your, what's your best memory of third round weekend? Uh, well, it's it's before the third round actually. I, I couldn't recover in Dagnum um, when they got into the third round and mm-hmm. and and they beat they beat Swindon and Peterborough. I want to say Peterborough was the second round match, and we were all in the dressing room. The cut, the draw was being made, and you know you know you could pile into the dressing room. The press piled into the the wall had fallen down at Dagenham Stadium. So a load of West Ham fans had turned up and knocked the wall down. It's absolute chaos. But they're, they're through. They're into the, they were a non-league team at the time, and we're all, we're all in the dressing room. And it was they were having the draw for the third round of the FA Cup on the on the on the Saturday after the second round, and, and they were. And they're pulling these names out of the hat. I seem to go, Manchester United. Oh, we could get Manchester United. Everyone's buzzing. And, and, and man, you go by and Liverpool go by and Arsenal and Tottenham or whatever. And finally, but, uh, number 47, Carlisle United versus number 28, Dagnan. Everyone just went, oh. Oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> because they knew it couldn't have been a worse journey and they're going to get yeah. beat. You know, you don't sort of know it, yeah. basically, you know, eight hours up a motorway and they're going to get beat anyway. No what I love about it, Jamie, is, you know, you might have a good idea of the sort of club who's going to win it. But I remember going to Chase Town in Staffordshire. Stan Collymore grew up around there because mm-hmm. he came with us. 
And they were playing card, if you think it was. Did you invite him or did you just turn up? Yeah. And uh, (laughs) it was the year Cardiff reached the final. So you never know, you know, whether Cardiff had a 17-year-old in midfield called Aaron Ramsey. And we're all going, who's the 17-year-old? He's quite good. And you Mm. just never, you know, ends up scoring the winning goal in the cup final twice. You never know, do you? I mean, my point is, it's not always about who wins it. There are so many stories along the way as well. Mm. But listen, Mm. your your dad still loves the story, doesn't he? Paul McBeanie, Man United all those years ago. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, why have I not remember that one? That was the, yeah. probably the best, best third round date, you know, in terms of my family. One of the biggest ever. They played against Manchester United, who were the holders at the time. I remember them coming down and just being in awe. I was, I must have been sort of, I thought, was it 83? Was it or 80, well, 85? They up in 83. So was it 84, I think? 84, I think yeah. it was. Yeah, because they won it the following year. Yeah. So the only, yeah. the only game they lost in the FA Cup in three years was against Little Bournemouth. So, yeah. I remember uh, Milton Graham scored one and, and, and just the play, I think there was, I don't know, and he held, it held at the time, four or 5,000 people, just the roof came off. But not just that, in terms of how it changed my dad's life, it, because he then was a manager that everyone was like, oh, who's this guy from Bournemouth? You know, he, then people start to talk about him and you get a bit of a reputation. Just incredible, like people from, I remember uh, Roland Rat. remember at the time, was oh, it yeah, GMTV? Yeah. They came down to like, interview my dad and stuff like that. And, they, and it was just, it was just a whole... The whole thing was just life changing for all of us. And Dad's interview after was, you know, it was, it was, it was, in, it was really. I, 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 funny enough, I watched it not too long ago, and and Dad, the, the, the was interviewed, just said to my dad, you know, what a day for Bournemouth, and you know, you know, you got your tactics right, and he went, well, you know what, it's all about the players. The players today were fantastic. He said they did everything they had to do, and they were brilliant all game. So you know, it, it was just quite funny to see how. You know, it's still the same, the same stuff that we talk about now and magical moments. And that's it from Game On. We'll be back next week and every week via Spotify, Apple and Google. Don't forget to sign up to your daily briefing from mailplus.co.uk. That's it from me, Mark Pugach. See you next week for more Game On.